I would invite you to turn with me to the first chapter of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. And I'll be reading for you the first 11 verses of this first chapter, Acts 1, 1 through 11. Hear then the word of God as the Holy Spirit inspired the writer to give us God's word written. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. May God add his richest blessing to this, the reading of his holy and his inspired word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures throughout all generations. Let's pray. Father, we come asking that the Holy Spirit, who moved holy men of old to give us your word, we pray for his ministry. We pray that he might enlighten our hearts and our minds to understand your word, its significance, its meaning, and its application for our lives as your people. And we pray for grace, your all-sufficient grace, to apply that word to our lives, that we might not be hearers of the word only, but that we might be doers, empowered by your spirit to do so. We make our prayer in the strong and powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Writer of the book of Acts tells us that this is not the first time that he has written to this man by the name of Theophilus. This is his second book. This is his second account. But he summarizes for us in these first several verses of Acts chapter 1 what that first account was about. And he says it like this, everything that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up. Now to be sure, he goes into more detail throughout these verses and he tells us that that first account also included accounts of Jesus appearing to his disciples over a period of 40 days with many proofs 
that indeed he is risen bodily from the dead. Now I want you to think about that. Do we have a record of that first account? Can we put our hands on that first account? Can we read in detail that which he has summarized in these opening verses about everything that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up? I want you to think about that in terms of what kind of book do you think that is? And I think if you think about it for just a moment, you'll, you'll say that sounds very much like a gospel. And it is a gospel. It is the third gospel. It is the gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 1, verse 3. Oh, most excellent Theophilus is addressed by Luke in his gospel. But this is the second account. So that first account is everything that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up. I like to think of the gospel of Luke like this. Mission accomplished. What was the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, in the 19th chapter, the 10th verse, Jesus himself said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And everything, everything that was necessary for the salvation of his people, everything that was pictured and prophesied and foretold in the Old Testament, that was accomplished at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. His life, his teaching, his miracles, his message, his sinless life, his atoning death on the cross, his bodily resurrection from the dead, everything necessary for your salvation he accomplished at his coming. Redemption has been accomplished. Now we come to the book of Acts, the second account. And I like to think of it as redemption applied. Now the choir just sang a beautiful anthem. The nations shall worship you. My question to you is, how is, the how is it that the nations will worship the Lord? And as we have this passage here in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11, I think what we have laid out for us here is God's plan for the spread of the gospel. How important is that? Well, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. And so I want us to look at this passage of Scripture and consider together this morning three different aspects of the plan of God for the spread of the good news of the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation. I want you to consider, first of all, what we might call God's plan geographical. If you look at chapter 1, verse 8, I think it's perhaps the key verse for the whole book of Acts. But you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Now, here comes the geographical references. Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, to the end of the earth. Now, there are several ways you could outline the book of Acts, but one way in which the book of Acts is... Is it, it, it comes and it, it opens itself to us is in a geographical way. Roughly speaking, chapters 1 to 7, the disciples are in Jerusalem. Chapters 8 through 12, Judea, Samaria, and then beginning with that wonderful prayer meeting in Antioch where the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas for the work that I have for them to the end of the earth. And you read from chapter 13 on, you read those 
missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. And you read that at the end of the book of Acts, Paul is in Rome, and yet he is there for two years, and people come and hear the gospel because he has the freedom to speak to people as they come and visit him. He is a prisoner there in Rome. What is it that God has given to us in Acts chapter 1, verse 8? He's given to us a map. And I want you to notice the scope of the map. It is nothing less than a world map. It's not a city map. It's not a state map. It's not a nation map. It is a world map. And I draw from that that God's plan includes the world. Christ for the world we sing, the world to Christ we bring. We have a missionary organization as Associate Reformed Presbyterians. It has a wonderful name. It's called World Witness because God's plan, as we look at the map here in chapter 1, verse 8, is the Christ for the world that the good news of the gospel is to be spread to the ends of the earth. But if you look at this map, it's sort of, if you've ever stopped at a, at a rest station, at a, at a stop, and you, and you look at the map, and there's usually a, an arrow on that map, and it says, you are here. Well, there's an arrow on this map that says to the disciples, you are here. Where are they? They're in Jerusalem. And not only does it say you are here, it says this is where you are to begin to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And spread the good news of Jesus Christ, they did. You read those first seven chapters. You come to chapter five, and they have been so busy filling the city with the good news of the gospel that they're hauled in by the authorities, the religious authorities who said, we gave you strict orders not to do this, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And this is, perhaps doesn't sound like much to us, but I want you to consider Jerusalem for just a minute. If you were to look at, at what happened just weeks earlier, would you have said Jerusalem was a place where the gospel could be planted and there could be results? Just weeks earlier, they had crucified the Lord, and, and these men knew what it was to be in an upper room and to, to be holed up there because they feared opposition to them. And yet, you are to be my witnesses here, and now they're filling the place where they are with the gospel message, and they're willing to stand before the authorities and say, we must obey God rather than men. So what is the lesson, perhaps, or the principle we can draw from this. Well, if you and I were to look on the map today, and it says you are here, it wouldn't be Jerusalem. It would say Clover, South Carolina. That's where we are. And this is where God calls you to be witnesses. Begin right where you are, with the family, with the friends, with the people that you go to school with, with the people that you work with, with the stranger that you run into. 
Begin right where you are spreading the good news. Now, it's wonderful to look out and see a congregation full of people. But I would venture to say there are people today that have never heard the gospel, never truly heard the gospel of Jesus Christ who live here in Clover, South Carolina. God has a plan. And the plan is this, that the gospel be spread. And it begins right where we are. Now, let's move on to Judea and Samaria. And that doesn't sound like too much to us at all as well. But I want you to consider um, how is it that they leave Jerusalem and they go out into all of Judea and Samaria? Was it a prayer meeting that got them started? Uh, did they have a prayer meeting and say, you know, uh, the, the plan is that we need to go to Judea and Samaria? It's not like that at all. You come to chapter 7 and the thing that gets them out, as it were, of Jerusalem is a persecution. Why is it that there is a persecution that God allows such a persecution to spread these disciples? And I submit to you that God is very serious about having his plan done. And if it takes a persecution to push out, as it were, and to scatter the disciples, all except the apostles we read, then that's what gets them out into Judea and in Samaria. If there is an inertia, as it were, that needs to be overcome. God, God works all things together for good to those who love him who are called according to his purpose, and his plan and his purpose will be accomplished. But if inertia is sometimes something that needs to be overcome, being satisfied with where we are and what we're doing and, and, uh, and just that, there are other things that need to be overcome for the purpose and plan of God to go forward as well. Now, what's Samaria sound like to you? Well, it might not sound like much to you, but if you were a Jew, it probably would raise uh, some ill feelings. Remember John chapter 4? Jesus goes and sits down at a well, and there's a woman who comes from Samaria, and she comes to draw water. And Jesus begins a conversation with this woman, says, give me a drink of water. And she says to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? And then John puts it in parenthesis, as it were, where he says, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Why is it that the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans? Because they hate one another. Because there's been a whole history of hostility and bloodshed, and violence, and desecration of temples between these two groups. Now, in that first account that Luke wrote to Theophilus, that is the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 9, Jesus set his face to go towards Jerusalem. And right after that, he sends some of his disciples into a Samaritan village to make preparations to stay there. But the Samaritans hear that Jesus is traveling towards Jerusalem with his, and his face is set towards Jerusalem. That's his, that's his destination. And when they hear this, they put up a no-vacancy sign. You're not welcome. And James and John, the sons of thunder, say, Lord, you just give us the word and we'll call down the very judgment of God. We'll call down fire from heaven upon these Samaritans. We don't like them anyway. 
and perhaps they wouldn't have lost one night's sleep in doing so. Ah, but you come to the second account, and you come to the eighth chapter of the book of Acts, and there Philip goes down to Samaria, and there are those Samaritans who receive the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and and there's been this breach between the Jews and the Samaritans, and, and the apostles say, we need to check this thing out, so who do they send? Well, they send, of all people, Peter and John. John, who had once suggested rather strongly, you just give us the word, we'll call down fire from heaven upon them. But this time, there's something different. Because it is clear that they had received the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and this time, they pray that these brothers and sisters in the Lord might also receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a It's a different scene, but what's different? What needed to change? John's attitude, his old attitude, his old dislikes, the things that he had been brought, that had to change if the mission were to advance. So we have Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And then to the outermost regions of the world or to the end of the earth. I want you to look at the map again. And I want you to look at it in the first century A.D. Somewhere on this map, there will be a nation called the United States of America. Somewhere on this map, there'll be a state called South Carolina. Somewhere on this map, there'll be a place called Clover, South Carolina. And today, you are here. as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you explain to me, please. Did this all come about by chance? Or was it God's plan and purpose? You're not here by accident. This was foreseen before there ever was a United States and a South Carolina and a Clover, South Carolina, that God's desire is that the world hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there have been people faithful declaring the gospel so that today there is a church here in this community as well as other churches in this community who preach the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. You read this, and we ought to be thrilled because we're reading about our roots. I think it's safe to say that that uh, most of us are not descendants of Abraham according to the flesh. But if we're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are his descendants according to the faith once delivered. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That's the first part of God's plan. The second part of God's plan is what we might call God's plan. Now, I'm going to use some big words here, but uh, hang in here. Methodological. Methodological. And there are three different aspects about this. The nations, the nations will worship. We heard that beautiful. The nations will worship you. The question is, how is it the nations will ever come to know 
about the Lord Jesus Christ that they might worship him, that they might know of the forgiveness of sins, acceptance into the beloved, that they might know of the indwelling presence and power and promise of the Holy Spirit, that they might know that they have a home in heaven, an inheritance laid up for them. How is it that that will be? Well, this is God's plan. This is his purpose, and he ordains the end of these things. But he who ordains the end of things is also the God who ordains the means to that end. And faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the message of Christ. And the means by which the message will go out is through his people. Now, Bruce said that we were in, in uh, Mexico for several years. We're standing out in the backyard in Mexico, and suddenly there were things falling upon us from heaven. And we looked on the ground, and there were pieces of bubble gum and candy. But also there was an announcement that the circus is in town. And the means by which they got it out, that the circus is in town, they hired somebody to fly over there, drop bubble gum and candy on you, as well as a little thing that says, come to the circus at such and such a time. But the means that God would have for people to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is through his people. People telling people. James Montgomery Boyce made this observation about the book of Acts. He says, you will not read of one conversion in the book of Acts apart from a human witness. Somebody has to tell somebody. Your faith, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, did not happen in a vacuum. Somebody shared with you the gospel. It might have been a minister preaching a sermon. It might have been a mother or a father sharing with you from Scripture. It might have been a Sunday school teacher. It might have been any number of ways. But the God who ordains the ends, yes, he's the one who does it. The Lord adds to his church daily such as we're being saved. And as many as were ordained to eternal life come to eternal life. But the means to that is, the divinely ordained means is that you shall be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the end of the earth. That's the first thing. Secondly, what's the message? What is the good news that when it is proclaimed, God is pleased to use to save some? Well, we could summarize it like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Read the speeches here in Acts. Read Stephen's speech. Read the the speeches of Peter and of Paul. What is it that they do? They point people to the Lord Jesus Christ, who he is and why he came and why God saved him, or, or why God sent him, and how there is salvation in no other name given among men, whereby we must be saved. They point people to Christ. That's the message. You shall be my witnesses, proclaiming my message. And that, uh, I think we're honest with ourselves. To hear somebody say, you need to tell other people about the Lord Jesus Christ. There there comes, okay, if if that's what the Bible says, 
There's a little fear factor many times in all of this. Who am I to tell somebody else? Could I really tell somebody else about the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, the God who calls us to do something is the God who also empowers us and enables us and equips us to do what he calls us to do. If he didn't do that, we would be the most frustrated people in the world. So how does he do that? You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. Who has the Holy Spirit? All Christians. All Christians. Romans 8. Romans 8, 9. All Christians have the Spirit. And by the power of the Spirit, we are called to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ so that others might come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, let me give you an example of this. Sometimes I know we preachers give you an example of somebody and you say, well, you know, I'm not Billy Graham. Okay, remember the old hymn. You may not preach like Peter, you may not pray like Paul, but you can tell the story. And I want to give you an illustration of that. My dad died when he was 56 years of age. My mother was 54 at that time. She had always wanted to be a nurse. But she never had the opportunity to study to be a nurse. But she got special permission to pursue a nursing degree, and she became a licensed practical nurse. And she began her nursing career at the age of 56. One of the places in which she practiced her nursing was at the local hospital in our town. And she went up and reported for duty, but as she was reporting for duty there at the nurse's station, what she saw there was a group of nurses that had gathered around, and they were talking to the supervisor, and they were in a dither. And the reason they were in a dither was there was an elderly gentleman who had checked in, and he wasn't allowing any of those nurses to do anything to him and they wanted to give him a bath. I don't need a bath. My mother said he needed a bath. My mother raised four boys and a girl. She knows when somebody needs a bath, okay? But when she got there, they were, they were talking, and, and the younger nurses just couldn't do anything with this contrary older man. And I guess the supervisor looked at my mother with a lot of gray hair that we had given to her. And said, how about you? How about you? You get down and you talk and see if you can't reason with this, with this man. And, and So she went down and he didn't want anything to do with her at first. But the gray hair prevailed. There's a, there's a crossword. There's a crossword clue. Nurse's asset. Three letters. T-L-C. And I guess that's what she showed. T-L-C. To this man. I don't need a bath. Uh, everybody gets a bath when they come in. Okay. Finally, he, he let her proceed. But there was something on this man's mind and heart more than somebody giving him a bath that bothered him. And as she was going about her duties, he began to talk with her. And it became evident that he was not at peace. And he said such things, you know, when I was young, I had very little time for the church and going to church and those kinds of things. Finally, my mother put down the washcloth, she put down the soap, and she said, are you troubled? Are you uneasy? 
Are you worried? Now, as far as I know, my mother never had a class in evangelism. But when this man indicated that he was, this is what she said to him. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Well, he calmed down. And she went on about her duty. She left. She went back the next day. She went back the next day. She went to the same nurse's station. She checked the roster, and she looked, and she did not see this man's name. And she said to the supervisor, what about Mr. So-and-so? And the supervisor said, he expired last night. But he didn't expire. without at least hearing, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Now I ask you, if you're a Christian this morning, do you believe that? You confessed it when you joined the church. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the Savior of your sinners and do you receive and trust in Him alone for salvation as He's offered in the gospel? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? And if you believe it, by the power of the Holy Spirit, could you tell somebody else who needed to hear that? That's what God is asking us to do. That's what God is empowering us to do, to tell others. And there's far more than just saying, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. But that's a start. Finally, the plan of God eschatological. I said I was going to use big, big words here, but let me, let, me, let me try and explain what eschatology is. Eschatology deals with within with the end times and, and things that are yet to come. And when you and I confess our faith with the Apostles' Creed, uh, Apostles Creed there is, uh, there's some eschatology there. Uh, we talk about he has ascended to the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Eschatology, things that haven't happened, going to happen, from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. That's eschatology. I believe in the resurrection of the body. It hasn't happened yet. I believe in it. Looking forward to it the older I get. <laughs> eschatology. Es eschatology. Things that haven't yet happened, that will happen. We believe that they will happen. The scripture teaches this. Our Lord taught this. Our passage teaches us this. So what's the eschatological plan of God? What, what's what's the, the thing that we need to think about? Is it, is Jesus coming again? No. That's clear. This same Jesus whom you have seen go up will come in like manner. He's coming again. Is it when he's coming again? The answer is no. It's not for you to know the times of the epics. Jesus said it. No man knows the hour of the day. It's the Father only who knows this. That hasn't kept a lot of people from purporting to know. But no man knows the hour nor the day. So what is the eschatological issue. Let me close with this illustration. I have a twin brother and uh, for the first six years of our life uh, we had no TV in our home. I don't know even whether TVs have been invented at that point or not. But it was a wonderful time. It really was. And that may surprise young people to hear that. 
But my parents thought it was necessary, not necessary, well, necessary and good that we get to know our relatives. And oftentimes we would write out to aunt so-and-so and uncle so-and-so or cousin so-and-so, and we got to know our relatives, and they got to know us. But there came a time and a place and a certain age where my twin brother and I sort of put our heads together and say, wouldn't it be nice if they go out and visit? We just stayed home and did something else. And so we lobbied for it, and we got it. Now, my my dad was not a preacher, but he had one sermon. And it went like this. Boys, we're going out to visit so-and-so. While we're gone, there'll be no rough housing. No wrestling, no breaking of anything in the house. We'd like to have a house standing when we come back. And off they would go. And I'm here to tell you that 15 minutes after they had left, my twin brother is picking on me. Well, at least that's my side of the story. And there were more things broken in that house than we ever confessed. My mother would be cleaning and would say, what happened here? Now, what does the scripture say about children and parents? Is it ambiguous or is it clear? Children, obey your parents. It wasn't as if we didn't understand what my dad had to say. It wasn't as if he, they weren't coming back, all things being equal. We were called upon to... to uh, behave ourselves in a certain way, and yet yet there were times when they came home and found us not doing exactly what they told us to do. The eschatological question is not if he's coming back, he is. It's not when he's coming back, no man knows the iron day. The eschatological question is this, what will he find us doing? May it be the plan of God, done by the power of God, proclaiming the message of God, which is the power of God unto salvation. Father, thank you for your word. How clear is your word to us? Search us, O God, and know our hearts. Apply to us as only you can, your word to us. And do so for your glory, for the good of your people, for the extension of kingdom, for the advancement of the gospel. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.